Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I've personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done. Another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free, so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits, like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's meant to be like casual. Um, yeah, that's um, all good. <laughs> continuing the conversation around your podcast and... I guess I want to know what is what is the key to kind of keeping it going like uh literally just doing it <laughs> yeah. it's I mean I have like a rule for myself that I have to put one out every week and so whenever I don't have one I will scramble to get a podcast done yeah or hit up a friend and be like, hey, we've been meaning to talk about this thing. Let's do that on the podcast or something. And I'll just scramble. And it's like, all right, every Thursday, got to have a podcast out. And so having that dedication to just every time I'm going to have a podcast out on Thursday. And that's really just the pressure of having a deadline or having anything kind of keep myself accountable so that I do it every week. And so I've been doing it since 2016 and now I have over 200 episodes. So like, I mean, it's, it's fun. And I think that without doing the podcast, I wouldn't have as many deep conversations as I normally do through the podcast. And so that's, uh, that's been like one of the bigger things that I've gotten out of it. But I mean, starting, it wasn't really that hard because I'm a musician and I went to school for music production. And so the audio side wasn't a big deal to me because yeah. I already knew that stuff. Yeah. The, the hard part was like finding people and making time. And it gets even harder because my podcast, I do two at a time. Okay. And so I have questions that I regularly ask. And so like the first one is an interview. And then the second one is like a free form conversation, kind of like we're having now. Uh, and so what that does is I kill two birds with one stone and get two podcasts out of it. <laughs> and with the, and the other person. part is, yeah, exactly. Um, and so with the first one, 
I sort of get to know the person or the audience gets to know the person. And then with the second one, we can both have a freeform conversation and go back and forth a little bit more because we've kind of developed that relationship. I kind of did a, a research presentation type thing at some point at school where it was like, here's a sort of friendship acceleration process that I've tapped into with the podcast. And so people develop relationships through experience and time. And so either a relationship can develop from experience. Let's say you're standing next to someone on the subway and some homeless man goes crazy and starts like yelling at people. You can like stand next to this person and be like, whoa, that was crazy, wasn't it? And then it's like you have like a small form of kinship right then because you experienced something together. And then the other way is just time. And so maybe you go to work every day and sit next to the same person every day and you'll eventually just say little things to each other, become more comfortable with each other. And through time, you develop a relationship. And so using the podcast and the questions that I have, I sort of go deeper and deeper into getting to know people so that it becomes easier to just talk about anything. But it does get sort of intentionally difficult whenever I start asking questions about like, how do you determine what good behavior is and what is your definition of God and stuff like this? That's like everyone has an opinion on, which is kind of why I have those questions to begin with. Yeah. But it's also like, once you get into something that deep with someone, it's not very hard to go on about anything else. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, let's just talk about movies for an hour. And that's fun too. So <laughs> interesting. But. Yeah. I like, I like that approach. Uh, Cause I've, all, I've been thinking a lot about, I guess the balance or the pros and cons of more interview style versus free form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I've noticed that, you know, I want to do my prep when I'm talking to someone, I want to have questions to ask mm-hmm. them, but I found the trade-off is that as they're talking to me, I'm already kind of looking at the list thinking what question I should ask them next versus not always listening to them. Or maybe if I went more free form, I would have been able to actually, um, like I would have had a question that would have came up that wasn't on the list based on something they said. And I missed that. So it's interesting. Yeah. I've been trying to like find uh, what the balance is and I like your approach that you kind of do too. And yeah, well, a funny thing is that I've also developed like a secondary skill of basically doing two functions in my brain at the same time. And so I'll, I'll be listening and be generally like genuinely intrigued by what they're saying. And maybe I'll like take note and be like, okay, cool. I'll plan to flag there. And remember that they said this. And so, and sometimes I have to like actually write it down, which since it's like recording audio, like very quietly and slowly (laughs) typing a key at a time while I'm listening. (laughs) Yeah. But something else is like, yes, you can have those set questions, but if you're looking at the time and seeing how long it's going, how long it takes them to answer the questions, it's like, okay, I think I can squeeze this question in there because I thought of that one. Or sometimes it's like, man, they took a really long time just to answer this one question. I'll skip some of my other ones just to get to the ones that I really want to find out about this person. And so it is kind of a give and take, but you do have, you develop this skill 
of a podcast slash interviewer that you're sort of running two functions in your brain at the same time. And so you do have to pay attention, but you're also like, I, I do have to have another question. And there have yeah. definitely been times where I'm like, yeah, that's super cool. I completely lost my train of thought. Yeah. I should have thought of that next one, but I was just paying attention. Sorry. Let me just give me a second to find my train of thought again. And yeah. it, it's okay. I mean, and that's the thing is like, it's an hour long, however thing. And people are going to be cool about like, well, yeah, these are humans talking to each other. It's not like, Oh, how dare you not be prepared for this thing? Like we, we all know that everyone makes mistakes or that everyone's brains are going in different directions. Yes. So it, it's cool. <laughs> no, you're right. I think it is a skill. Did you, when you uh, first started your podcast, like four years ago, did you, did you think about like how long you thought it would go on for? Uh, did you have in your mind, I want to do this for a certain amount of time or was it more so I'm going to, I think I'll keep doing this as long as I'm enjoying it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think one thing about the format of my podcast is that it's infinitely progressive, I guess. And so everyone is interesting. Everyone has something to say and has opinions about these things. And so it can just be friends that I meet along the way, or it can be more famous people or something, if it it even gets to that point. And so like something that I do find whenever I watch like other interviews on media, whether it's actors or athletes or something like that, it's always the same questions. And so I feel like I could ask these same questions to, I don't know, a, a friend of mine or ask these questions to like Taylor Swift or something. And it would all be like relevant because everyone has opinions on this and I'm still interested in people in general. That's why I started the podcast to begin with because I'm just interested in people. And so I don't think I've ever thought about an end to the podcast that that's never really been an option. It's more just like, I'm doing this thing now. It's just a thing that I do now. (laughs) Cool. Uh, by the way, yeah, sorry, sorry for asking you. About. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say sorry, sorry for asking you all these podcast questions. I know I didn't didn't let you know <laughs> they were coming. I know you thought it was gonna be more about, I guess, topic of AI. But I guess I was gonna ask you what uh, what what did you think we might talk about today? So oh, I know I mean, where I, your interests are and maybe know where to go with the questions. So I mean, I'm I'm really nerdy about technology and science fiction and stuff like that and so that is kind of where my interests lie but like it's not my podcast which is a fun thing being a podcast host and not and just kind of letting go and so like here it's up to you and so you can ask me whatever I've on every hundredth episode of my podcast I have all of my interview questions directed at me and so I'll have a friend of mine ask me those questions. And so I'm not, it's not a foreign thing to me to be asked difficult questions anyways. And so like, you can feel free to throw anything at me and I'll, I'll try my best because everyone's just trying their best whenever I I hurl these difficult questions at them. So it's like, it's fine. You can throw anything at me. (laughs) Well, I'll start. I want to ask, where did your, where do you think your interest in, in tech AI 
in science fiction? Where do you have a sense of where it kind of came from? I think so. It, it's probably from the Matrix. So you and I are about the same age. Uh, so I, I'm I was born in Venezuela. And my family and I came to the United States in 2001. For whatever reason, I like the first memory in my brain of seeing a film is The Matrix in theaters. For some reason, I was like five or four. And that's like one of the first things that stick in my, <laughs> sticks in my head about like a theater experience. Um, my parents probably should not have taken a four-year-old <laughs> to see The Matrix in theater. Um, but whenever I came to the U S I distinctly remember trying to speak English like Keanu Reeves. And so like he was my model of what English speaking sounded like. And so that was something for me that like, I guess the matrix was foundational to my experience. Interesting. And so this idea of like the world is a simulation and (laughs) our reality is actually just a different version of what we think we experience. And that's probably always been a part of my life somehow. And so that is kind of where that begins. But then over time, I've been really into video games. uh, And so I think Halo was another one that is like, oh, here's a science fiction thing that it's like it's super fun to play with your friends but it's yeah. also like grounded in this really good and interesting science fiction story and i don't know if you've ever read any of the halo books but they're really good I have the science fiction is like really well built like it's not i always kind of criticize star wars for not being science fiction and even though like some people treat it as that and so like i think halo's science fiction is way better and well established than like star Wars science fiction. And so I think those things, and and so then kind of going on to the topic of AI, like Cortana in the halo games was this like, Oh, she's, she's a person. She's alive, but she's not a human being. And what does that mean for, I guess, just, sentience (laughs) and and how that kind of gets explored and so i've kind of always been interested in science fiction in that way and then i think being a musician and doing music production technology has always been a big part of my life and always being interested in video games and so it's like we're kind of this generation of people who are kind of already cyborgs we we don't exist without our phones. We don't exist without a part of us in the digital sphere. And so like part of our brain space is actually just shared with this external device that is our phone. And so people used to just memorize phone numbers. Why would you do that now? (laughs) But like we have, we're, we're becoming a cybernetic organism already. Yeah. And it doesn't seem that way, but like, just in the little things that like we're using every day and slowly becoming more technology along with being human. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool to hear where, where some of your interests came from. For me, I think back to the future was 
Yeah. Yeah, that that <laughs> series um, kind of piqued my interest, I think. And then more recently around AI, um, maybe like three, four years ago, coming across uh, Wait But Why, Tim Urban's blog post. Mm. I don't know. Have you heard of them? No. Okay. He, I think you would really like them. He's, <laughs> he's, um, he's a good like synthesizer of information and he's one of the best kind of blogger writers that I've come across. And he does, he does his own kind of cartoon graphics um, kind of embedded throughout and he adds like some comedy to it, but he's done some really cool writing on AI. Um, he's probably done like the most detailed um, writing piece I've seen on Neuralink. Like he interviewed Elon mm. Musk yeah, and did yeah. a long piece on, on, on Neuralink. Um, so yeah, I think that really piqued my interest when I first came across his writing. Yeah. Oh, there's actually a different thing too. Uh, whenever I was in middle school and high school, I had watched a Zeitgeist documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen those. But, no, what is that? Uh, and so they're like, they started pretty kind of edgelordy, but then they got better. And so the the first one was like, everything you know is a lie. So like 9-11 was an inside job and like religion is a lie and like money isn't real. And it was the sort of thing that like, especially as like a rebellious teenager, it like really hits you really hard. It's like, whoa, everything I know is a lie and, and kind of the same way that the Matrix does. And so I'd gotten really into those. And in the, the second one, uh, Peter Joseph is the director and writer and all that. Uh, he introduced what's called the Venus Project, which is this kind of alternate or this way of looking at society and sort of restructuring it. And what it's called is a, a resource-based economy rather than a like capitalist economy or communist economy or whatever it is. And so this guy, Jacques Fresco, had started this kind of in like the seventies or eighties or something. It was, it was originally called socio cyber engineering, which is understandable why they changed that. But <laughs> the, it is kind of like he restructured this ideal society to be like, well, if we had all of these resources and we managed it correctly and we did everything using technology and stuff, we would actually be able to create a post scarcity society without having to, like subject people to war and famine and all of these things. We actually have the technology right now to make this happen. And so that kind of also was foundational to like my idea of how I look at society. And so you can look at it as like, Oh, I'm just like a crazy communist or whatever, but it's, it's more like we have to use technology to, create a foundation for the world rather than like letting stupid humans do it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm very much aligned to, like to, to kind of your views there. Um, I guess that's maybe part of your interest in like Andrew Yang. I yeah, guess yeah. I, I, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can say something about that. It's like, it does seem like a universal basic income could be a sort of transition point from what we have now into a sort of resource-based economy. 
to where like people's needs are met to begin with and then we can take the innovations that come from those people whose needs are met and reintroduce that into society and so like capitalism idea is like we use competition to make the world a better place and as people are competing to make a better thing the better thing will make more money and those people will thrive and they'll make another thing yeah so that's a cool way of doing it but then also like if everyone's needs are met then it's not so much about competition but it's about just like ideas themselves and so there's a competition of ideas rather than a competition of people and so whenever people are competing against each other they'll sabotage each other whereas ideas kind of hold on their on their own and so ubi kind of levels the playing field well not levels it but it like as as andrew yang describes it is like an economy where uh income doesn't start at zero and that way people can begin to thrive rather than just survive yeah (laughs) yeah no it makes sense um i was just so i was just thinking about I, I mean, I listened to, as I mentioned, I listened to a couple of your episodes. One of them, I, I think you talked about free will a bit in, mm. which is always a fascinating <laughs> topic to me. Um, and I wanted to ask you, so like, assu- assuming, you know, free will doesn't really exist and we're a product of our genetics and environment and upbringing, it would imply that, you know, um, like everyone should, should should be equal and like have the same um yeah like everyone should have the same access to to resources and things right and someone's success is is a product of you know things that were out of their largely out of their control i guess where i'm going with this is you know it, it tends to lean towards like socialism communism or whatever you want to call it And, um, when I'm talking to friends and people about this, they say, you know, well, that didn't work. Um, I, I guess like what I'm trying, I'm curious how much you've thought about this or what your thoughts are. A lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I figured. So like, I'm wondering, cause, um, I, I use this example when I'm talking with friends, I say like, okay, imagine, you know, it's like a couple thousand years ago. And you're in this like tribe of like 10 people and um, you know, everyone goes out and tries to get like bananas to eat, for instance. Um, And, you know, pure capitalism would say, if I find 10 bananas, I get to keep them all. I don't have to share them. Mm -hmm. And then I guess pure communism would say, I find 10 bananas, I get to keep one and everyone gets one of the bananas. And then I guess the society we live in today, I guess it depends what country you're in. I'm in Canada, you're in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, there's taxes, so maybe you get to keep seven of the bananas and three of them have to be shared. <laughs> um, so I guess, okay, where I'm going with this is like, I would, I would think I still have incentive to, I want to help the people around me. So I guess I'm trying to ask, like, what, what, maybe why hasn't, you know, the 
communism or socialist like why hasn't it worked yeah yeah so i think the common i guess misconception that people attribute to uh like oh look at russia look at china look at all these different things that like they've tried communism and it hasn't worked well it's like they tried communism coupled with authoritarianism yeah corrupt and so yeah the like it's not the communism that doesn't work it's the authoritarianism that doesn't work right and so whenever you have like okay sure russia is like yeah we're gonna take all the resources that we have and redistribute them it's like yeah but then you also are giving all of those resources or most of those resources to stalin and he's going to make his gulags and if you disagree with the ussr then you're going to go to the gulag and starve and die and so it's like the the world's number one like quote unquote genocide is from russia because like stalinism m- systematically murdered the most people on earth and so is that communism or is that authoritarianism if those people were murdered because like they like disagreed from or disagreed with the government then that's not really communism killing them that's the government killing them yeah and so we see that too in china today with how like anyone who disagrees with china even in hong kong now they're going to be scooped up by the secret police and sent to these camps or anyone of a different religion is going to get scooped up and sent to these concentration camps that China definitely has. We're seeing kind of a mirror of what happened in Russia as well. And again, that's more authoritarianism than it is communism. And I think one of the bigger reasons is that communism works ideally because there's like an abundance of resources. But if if a country doesn't actually have those resources and they can't actually distribute them equally to where everyone has that opportunity to thrive. And so what happens is like the government is the one who decides that, oh, we're the ones who are going to distribute this. And so you just have to listen to us and trust us and basically we'll will take care of it. Yay, communism, right? But no, it's like, yay, your government. And so we're trusting people, and I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we're trying to, I guess, communists in these countries are expecting that they can put someone or the government on a pedestal and expect them to deliver all the things that you expected them to well humans are self-interested animals we like regardless of how well you might be raised if you see the opportunity of like well i could have everything it's very hard to turn that down it's a it's a super human type of person that would turn that down um and so this is kind of where it goes into AI and kind of the initial question of like, what decisions will AI be making for us? I think that we don't need to be trusting humans with the resources or the means of production. If you're referring to Marx, but it's like, 
if we program a cold, hard thinking machine to be like, we have this many bananas and this is how many can be redistributed. Like there's no, well, this person needs it more or whatever, but it's just like, how many bananas do people need? If we're able to use technology to create just a, a stupid abundance of bananas, then there's no need to be like, well, you only get some and these people only get some and then this person gets a whole lot. Instead, it's like we have so many bananas that it doesn't matter. Here, take 30. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and sure, there would be something in the system to be like, why do you need like 200 bananas? It's like, oh, I'm doing a banana party. It's like, that seems wasteful. <laughs> and so something that like the Venus Project kind of discusses is it's not just about like an AI controlling all of the resources. It's also about society and culture kind of self-managing. And so that that is a, a hard line to uh, skirt, but it's like, the way that hunter-gatherers have worked in the past for a majority of human evolution is that like, if the whole tribe gets meat and one person is sort of like hoarding it or secretly like taking some, and then like they have like a tribe meeting and they're like, yo, where's our meat going? And like, if they find, if they find out that that one person was taking meat, they'll like kill them or banish them. And it's a way of the group preserving itself from these sort of selfish actors. And so the, the, the human evolution program has sort of trained itself to kind of work in this social order to where we like one of the hardest things for humans to experience is exclusion from the group. And that's like, I guess you could say on purpose, but like nature has selected humans to do this thing because we thrive as a group. And so if we change culture to where it's like, oh, I'm throwing a banana party. So I need 3000 bananas. It's like you're all of your friends and society is going to look at you and be like, why are you being so wasteful? Don't do that. Yeah. And so like it's more of a social pressure that discourages that rather than like laws or because even in the society that we have now, like laws are in place to punish people rather than rehabilitate them. Like prison doesn't rehabilitate people. It just keeps criminals in a place separate from the rest of society. And it's not teaching them that, this isn't what you should be doing for the better of society. What it's really just teaching them is that like, we don't like you stay in here. (laughs) And so like they become bitter and angry at the system. And then when they get out, they just do more crime again because no one, no one taught them any better. And so instead it's like, we have this social pressure and this kind of use a sort of social belonging to encourage and discourage certain behaviors. It is hard to walk that line obviously, because if we have things like religion and being like, well, if you're gay, you're evil and you're going to burn in hell forever. And if you confess this to anyone, then we'll just exclude you from the tribe. And that, that has led to a lot of suffering as well. 
And so it's like, it is, it is difficult to manage the sort of social rule thing, but like, that is kind of the, the balance that we want to find over time. And so going into like China, for example, now, or even the example of like 1984 or Brave New World, it's like we, the government wants you to feel this way, not because the government tells you, but because we want you to believe it yourself. And that's kind of a way of using the social order to achieve what the government wants. And so rather than having the goals be like what a government wants, we can have those goals be like what just contributes to human thriving. And so if we sort of set that as the goal and sort of restructure society where that's the goal, then it's like, okay, well, are we going to make the world a better place by like pressuring trans people to kill themselves. No, we're not. Cause these are lives that we're losing that could have helped to the better of humanity. And it is kind of a utilitarian kind of argument, but it, it is like, it's about like taking all of these different philosophies and finding out what can work best for everyone. But all of that to say is that, like, we're humans. We have spent most of our evolutionary time being animals. And then this tiny fraction of our existence has been society. And so it's like, I don't think humans can be trusted to run the world. We don't even, like, own the world. We just happen to have sprouted here from the goo. And so, like, I don't think we're the ones who need to take control of that, but instead like you can take a calculator and separate all the resources out and just like look at it in this cold, hard logic and be like, well, this works regardless of what your prejudices or biases are. This works. And so like in math, two plus two will always equal four, no matter what you do, unless you're doing it wrong. And that like, if you keep using that wrong calculus, you're going to end up somewhere bad because you're gonna be making wrong measurements and stuff and your car's gonna explode or something (laughs) so sorry that was long (laughs) oh no it's okay it's okay so yeah like the common argument i'll hear against you know ubi or communism is that you know people are going to be lazy and and free ride off the system um but i i agree with you on the social pressure piece and that you know just by human nature, I think we're humans are happiest when we're like helping others and contributing. Mm-hmm. So I guess like, I, I want to believe that, you know, <laughs> even if I had UBI, like I wouldn't sit around and do nothing because that's not going to make me happy. Um, but I guess, I guess the best way to look at it, would you say is to like, you know, test UBI and see what the, outcomes are and if so like i know there have been some tests that, that have already been kind of piloted um around ubi um and from what i've seen it's still not at least from what i gather not definitive whether or not um it's like clearly successful or not like i hear arguments on both sides 
like, have you seen anything that in your mind is, is very clear evidence that UBI is, is uh, a good thing? I, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I haven't seen the evidence that says like, oh no, this doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'd have to do some research on those, Yeah, but like, at least from what I've seen, as I've already prefaced that I'm biased, uh, we all have, we all have bias. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, It does show that like, if you give people enough to survive, then like, if you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like that survival part is already set and then you can continue to thrive above that yeah and so i don't know i think that like this this notion of like oh if you have everything handed to you you're just going to become lazy i think that's a that's probably a product of like anti-communist propaganda from like the 60s that has just become embedded in society now and so instead it's like what do you want to doing what what do you want to be doing with your time if you don't have to be doing this uh can i cuss on the podcast (laughs) yeah yeah okay if you don't want to be doing this bullshit job that like oh well i just like sit in a cubicle all day and like punch numbers or whatever it's like you can you can put that to ai uh instead it's like what would you rather be doing would you rather be creating something would you rather be a philosopher would you rather be and so it's like we can do things and and we actually kind of already see this in society in this sort of like distorted way where like people who are given the resources to thrive actually do thrive <laughs> and so it's like there there is a balance as well because it is like if you give someone way too much then and and like don't educate them on like how to use it then like you know there's those spoiled rich kids that just like oh i just like spent a night in vegas and like threw down like two million dollars and it's like that they were never educated in the form of like here's what you can do with two million dollars you can do so much with two million dollars but instead it's like well i don't know like my dad is rich and has a billion dollars so like what is $2 million to a billion dollars? Like, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, a, I mean, a billion dollars is a thousand million dollars. And so it's like, ah, uh, 2 million is not that much anyways. So like, uh, but like the other part is education. And so it's like, you can't just give people money and expect them to know what to do with it. You have to let them know that like, Hey, you can actually like, pay off your debts with this you can actually like buy a new car and be able to manage debt uh responsibly and all this sort of stuff and so it's like we can't just give people money and expect that to be the end of it we have to kind of show them how to use these resources effectively and that's that's another sort of big part of like the the venus project thing that i'm talking about Uh, one thing i'd say is like if you didn't have like the capitalist model, then you wouldn't have necessarily like predatory lending companies. And, sure. you know, you wouldn't have to educate people about the the harms out there because maybe it, the harms wouldn't exist. There'd be no reason to have these. Right. But there is also just, just stuff to learn about yeah. anyways. And so it's like, you know, how, 
how far can a dollar go? And yeah. so it's like, if if you go to the grocery store and get food in bulk and like have enough food for a week, that's a lot cheaper actually than it is to go to McDonald's every day and yeah. like spend $10 on a meal every day. And so that's something that like, I think there was a Terry Pratchett quote that was like, it's, it's more expensive to be poor, which is basically like, oh, this rich man can buy like these expensive boots and they'll last forever. But this poor man can't save up the money to buy expensive boots. And so he buys like these poor boots yeah. and they'll wear out in a month and then yeah. he'll buy another one and then he'll buy another one. And yeah. then over time, he's actually spent more money yes. than the expensive boots. And so it's like this sort of thing about like how far can a dollar go is something that like everyone can learn. But then it's also like once you get past that sort of base level of education of like how do you manage your money, then it's like how do you manage your money and invest in the things in your life that you really want to. And so like if you open a small business or something and it's like, oh, I just want to open a coffee shop or something, you can learn what sort of things are necessary in that sort of thing. And that's not something you may have been able to do if you didn't have the resources to begin with. So it like, it stacks up on itself. And the more that you put in, the more that you can get out of it from society in general. (laughs) So, okay, let me ask you, if if UBI is fairly clear cut that it's let's assume it is fairly clear cut that it's it's a good thing and i mean i see i've seen like harvard and different universities have studies between like um i don't know if you've seen like the relationship between income and happiness reported happiness mm-hmm. and it like there is a clear correlation up until like $75,000 or yeah, something like and that then it, and then it plateaus it plateaus <laughs> Because I guess, like like you said, around Maslow's hierarchy, like pretty much once your basic needs are met for the most part, I guess that's those are the main things that are going to contribute to your happiness. So my question is, like, if these things are clear, you know, why why do we live in a world today where we don't have UBI, where we have um, people who have hundred hundreds of billions of dollars? I just saw Bezos hit mm-hmm. two hundred billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So like. Why? Why do we have like? How did we end up in this world <laughs> where people have two hundred billion dollars? And you talked about post scarcity world. Like, arguably, we already almost are in that world. Like, mm-hmm. we have enough. From what I've read, we have enough food that could. You know, no one has to be starving. Rates of poverty and stuff have gone way down. Um, things are getting better, but uh, slower than maybe it, it could be, given you know where we're at. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts around around that? I will I will start by saying like yes, we are way better now. Like the world is way better off than yeah. it was in the past. And and all of all of the statistics that you can name that about that like describe how much better the world is. Like pretty much Poverty, all of them. Child are saying mortality, like, all kind of key stuff yeah. around well being. Yeah. Um. But the other part is that like so this is a, a concept that. Uh, Chris Ryan talks about in his book, Civilized to Death, 
but like corporations are meta intelligences and okay. and to the point to where like it doesn't matter if like an executive at Exxon or something is like oh we should probably change what we're doing here and like stop polluting the earth and make sure that like we have we leave a better life for our children and all that stuff if an executive at Exxon does that in like a board meeting he'll be voted out immediately and replaced and it's like every individual executive at that company probably does want the best for their children, but collectively they are a different entity than themselves. And so the meta intelligence of the corporation says like, no, we like this would dissolve the corporation. And that is against our interests, the interest of the corporation, even though the interests of the individuals that make up the corporation have different interests. Uh, And so what will happen there is that like corporations are self-interested and they want to self-perpetuate. And so what kind of has happened over time is that like the machine is running itself. And so, and we're just kind of the pieces in that machine and we're not educated enough or not brave enough to like step outside of that and like kind of let go of the machine and kind of push this in a different direction. And so it's like, it kind of, kind of, like I said earlier in like the sixties, there was this huge anti-communism thing with like the cold war and all that stuff. Or like, I mean, even the, like the forties up. And, and so all of that sort of stuff of like, no, that's communism. You can't have that. We want to like have our own stuff. All of that kind of became a part of how society operates. And it kind of came to a a huge head at like in the eighties or maybe even before then, but like how like all of the rules got stripped away that held back corporations from just being like you like a utility of the program and now just become the point of the program itself and so like it doesn't matter if amazon has billions of dollars it's just going to use its massive amount of wealth and power to continue to perpetuate itself regardless of the interests of anyone in the company, regardless of what it'll do to the planet, like Amazon itself as an entity wants to self-perpetuate like life itself. And so this momentum has been going for so long that it's hard to kind of convince every cog in the machine to come out of the machine, especially whenever every single one of us is kind of replaceable anyways. And so like, kind of like I said about like the Exxon executive, like replaceable and like, it doesn't matter at what point of the machine you are a cog, like you are replaceable. And so like, and these massive companies always have like replaceable CEOs and stuff. Like how many CEOs has Microsoft had? Like, it doesn't matter. 
because it, like Microsoft is this thing is existing outside of people. Yeah, it's and weird so, to think about. Yeah, like there is no there's no human that is Microsoft. There is no human that is Amazon. It's actually just like this other thing, and these other things are the ones that are like influencing our reality, and so they they can use propaganda and media to convince us that like well it's not what you really want what you really want is to buy another thing (laughs) and so like the the system is trying to perpetuate itself and we haven't fully acknowledged the fact that it is a an intelligence yet and i guess like maybe once we're at the brink of actually having a smart AI, can we realize like the nature of other meta intelligences, but like it's already here. Like there are emergent properties that appear in systems if we look for them, but like maybe we're not smart enough yet, like as a collective. (laughs) Um, But I think that like, I don't know the, we are the ones stopping ourselves like and and we're not letting ourselves think like well money isn't real like it's not like i had an argument with my dad like last week about like money isn't real like you could have just like the resources you need to live like shelter and food and water and like not deal with money at all and we could just do that as a society but like it's it's just like part of the propaganda that we've grown up with all our lives that like yeah no this is just like a necessary thing you you you're born you go to school you go to college you go to work and you maybe have some kids and you die and that's that's it <laughs> but like if there's nothing else to life then that sucks uh and but like it's not even a questionable thing anymore. Like you can't, like it's very uncommon for people to just be like, what if I just wanted to travel the world the rest of my life? I can make this happen. There are people that are doing that, but it's like the rest of the system doesn't want that to happen because if everyone did that, then nothing would run in the way that we traditionally know it as. And so it's like, it, it's harmful to the system for the cogs in it to acknowledge that there's more to life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another big rant. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. I'm enjoying it. I know, I know we're coming up on an hour. I think you had this um, scheduled for like an extra, for an extra half hour. Do you, yeah. do you want to wrap up in a couple minutes or do you have more time? No, we, can, we can go yeah? for a little bit longer. Okay, cool. <laughs> I have a thing uh, at two thirty. So, okay. Sounds good. Um, what did I want to ask you? Maybe I know, I know I said, uh, heading into this when we were chatting over email, like, let's pick one of the topics, like, right. but I, I'm, I kind of just wanted to ask you, I realized I want to ask you a little bit about all of them to get your view. So, um, one of them was around autonomous car, self-driving cars mm-hmm. and if they should be mandated. And I think thinking about it more the, the the real question i have is when yeah when should when should we mandate it when should we switch over given 
I think I think the stat is just over a million people a year die currently in car accidents mm. worldwide. Um, I guess the question for me is how much safer does self-driving cars need to be? Like if the number is 1 million today, if self-driving cars, if the current technology would bring that number down from a million to half a million tomorrow, like should it be mandated? Um, Cause I, you know, I've seen in the news over the past few years, like there have been self-driving cars accidents where, where people have, have died and there's kind of outrage against self-driving cars because people view it as, you know, people view like a person killing another person in the car accident as like natural. So it's, it's scary when a self-driving car does it. But to me, there's a strong argument. Like as soon as it goes below that million deaths per year that you're currently seeing, it should be introduced, but it seems like it's going to need to be like orders of magnitude safer before it's actually introduced. So anyways, I'm just curious your, your thoughts around this. If yeah. You've thought about this. Yeah. People are afraid of losing agency over things. And so what it appears to be is that like, so I think Radio Lab had an episode about this regarding autopilot on airplanes. And so like autopilot's been around for a while now. And like if you just look at the numbers, as soon as autopilot was introduced, like the number of plane crashes like dropped ridiculously. And the thing is, is that like there was a situation where basically like the plane was doing a thing and the autopilot wasn't working and the pilots didn't actually know what to do in the situation because the autopilot, like they had kind of trained with the autopilot. And so they didn't know how to like actually fly the plane. And so that plane crashed and like they were, they got the information from the black box and it was very sad that like, this thing happened but like at the same time if you just look at the numbers of like how many people have not died versus this like these edge cases like nobody wants to be the edge case and so like just the possibility of it happening at all is scary to people and so like they'll use that edge case to sort of continue to feed their agency like oh i don't like i i know i'm in control of the car and so like i don't want a machine to take over that but it's like if you actually just look at the number it it would be so much safer even those like little amount of autonomous cars that have crashed yeah. Like if you look at the number of people that are using autonomous cars versus accidents, them. accidents per million miles driven or something is like the stat yeah. I see. And yeah, I think, I think it already, I'm going to check after if I remember, but I think it's already the accidents safer than humans. Yeah. yeah already safer. So, <laughs> and, and when, so do you think like, gonna, when do you think it's going to become mainstream, whether mandated? Cause I could see an argument for like mandating it versus, I don't know. I think that, a lot of times good change has happened through like quote unquote force. Yeah. Like, and so sometimes those changes happen sort of naturally. Uh, like maybe a, a new thing gets invented and everyone's like, Oh, we don't, 
like for example horses to cars like oh we don't have to have like a living pooping thing around to like move this seems great and so that sort of naturally occurred and so there was i don't know if there was like a save the horse campaign or whatever in in like the 20s or something (laughs) yeah um but like no matter what like that that forceful change into like oh here here's a new thing we we can adopt it and things will be way better and so there are always going to be people that fight that change but a lot of times whenever those changes happen forcefully people effectively just have to adapt like yeah. there's nothing you can do and so yeah. it's like if if i went blind today like i would have to figure out how to survive without my eyes and so like whether or not that would be better for me or not like there's people that say that like oh like i can hear and smell so much better now than i ever could whenever i could still see and so like that's a we don't know the changes that could happen but like well no actually we do know these changes specifically which is that self-driving cars would be way better for humanity and so it's like we would be so much better off regardless of the edge cases so so like if if let's say like one car per million crashes in autonomous cars like that's way 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 better than like what we have now or something i'd I'd have to look at the numbers but like if it's already like let's say i don't know 30 percent less like even if they're crashing that much 30 percent is a lot of life (laughs) that we could be protecting and so it's like we could just do it as soon as possible but it's like companies like tesla are trying really hard to kind of be be gentle about that change and be like well we don't want to just like spring this on people and it's like you can kind of drive like have the car drive you around and like if they wanted to they could they could literally just be like it's on it can like it'll take you home it'll take you wherever you want you can be drunk and be asleep at the wheel and like you'll be completely safe they could totally do that right now i'm sure of it but because it's not like 99.99% safe, they're like scared to like pull the trigger on it. But like governments move way slower than technology does. And so usually legislation comes up after the fact rather than like, oh, well, we're seeing this thing on the horizon. Maybe we should put some laws around it. That like never happens. (laughs) So instead, like we we could just hear self-driving cars. And the risk with that is uh, something that Andrew Yang talked about a lot is that like there's a huge economic industry surrounding- uh, Truck drivers. Yeah, truck drivers and like large scale transport. And so there's no infrastructure in place to- help those people once their jobs disappear and like those are difficult transitions because again those things have have happened in the past where it's like oh uh we have like this textile mill 
just invented a new thing. And so like, instead of having a hundred people in the factory, we really only need like 10. And so like, here's laying off 90 people and like, it sucks for those people, but like, it's better off for humanity in the long run. But if we don't have any infrastructure in place to help those people that are displaced by new technology, then we are going to have some sort of like a economic riot on our hands. And so that's something else that Andrew Yang talks about that like, if people feel like their government doesn't care about them, then they're not going to put any trust in them at all. And so it's not, it's not even so much about the technology at that point as it is just the infrastructure in place to help the people that would be displaced by it. And so, yeah, like Elon Musk could like pull the trigger on it and be like, here's self-driving trucks, here's self-driving cars, deal with it, universe. Like, <laughs> and, and yeah, there would be a scramble or something, but like right now the world isn't set up to be able to handle that. And so really what's holding us back isn't technology, but it's like the rest of the economy. Yeah, good point. So yeah, there's the transitioning of of jobs like truck drivers and I guess Uber and, and Lyft drivers and taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. And something I came across recently, which I found a bit surprising, maybe it makes sense though, is that um, in terms of what people, I think it was something that I was talking about, which activities that people do, they find happiness, most happiness in. Mm-hmm. And driving was actually one of them, <laughs> um, which was interesting. And I think the reason, what they were saying, the reason people enjoy driving is I guess it's like something you can focus on, like mm-hmm. versus, like I guess, you, your mind can definitely wander when you're driving. You can be a little bit on autopilot, but you do need to have some amount of focus on the road and not hitting people and cars. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's just one thought I had around, you know, it seems like a great thing that autopilot would mean that I can sit in the car and now I can, you know, do a podcast with you, for instance, while I'm mm-hmm. in, in the car or I can watch a TV show. But I wonder, like, are we giving up something that maybe people actually really enjoy. And then the last thing that comes to mind, and, you know, maybe this is a ridiculous thought, but mm-hmm. um, like how to think about the, this, the small, the very small risk. And maybe, maybe this isn't even something to consider, but like, let's say for instance, self-driving cars, there's like a technology in it that like a component of the self-driving cars is in, all the self, all the vehicles, and let's say there's a a malfunction or a bug or something, and it causes all cars to you know accelerate uncontrollably. <laughs> like to me, I know that seems ridiculous, but it seems like that is now a possibility that maybe didn't exist in today's world. Like that that couldn't possibly happen to all cars, but if they're all on a network, I don't know. Like, does that, yeah, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. I mean, so one on the like activity thing, I think that what people might enjoy from driving isn't necessarily the driving itself, but the, the effects of it. 
And so it's like a thing that you like focusing on. It's yeah. freeing to be out amongst the world and moving. And so like you can get those things other places and be much safer and there's much less risk <laughs> if you have a car that drives itself. And so it's like, oh, if you like having a thing to focus on and kind of have your mind wander, but like still be doing a thing, like maybe you should pick up sewing or like this other activity that like you can get other good effects from and not be like polluting the earth while you're doing yes, it. Yes. So, <laughs> um, or like, oh, it's freeing to like be out amongst the world and like travel. And like, yeah, you can still travel, just it won't be you driving. And so like you could take up bicycling or something or go hiking and there's like a whole aspect of your culture that you could explore that doesn't necessarily involve driving. And so it's like when when technologies appear that sort of change the landscape of human existence, people sort of shift where their focus lies in order to kind of continue to find those things that they once found fulfilling in other places. And so like, and they're still like, it, driving could still be like a hobby, I guess. It's like, oh yeah, there's this like closed track and like we drive around in it like race cars or something. And I mean, people still have horses today and like, yeah, I like riding and this is a fun hobby of mine. It's like an experience to like form this relationship with a horse. And so it's like, I don't know, driving could probably go by way of the horse and like, yeah, if you still like cars and working on cars and stuff like that, you can still do that. Yeah. But like, it's not, a necessary part of the human experience as yeah. we all know it. It's just yes. become that way because of the way that we structured our culture. Yeah. And then the other part of like the bug thing, <laughs> I think that obviously there are way better engineers and technical people that know this technology better than I do. But like, there are ways of making sure that these things don't happen. There's like advances in blockchain, for example, that is this completely like un like unbreakable kind of thing because it's so independent and you can probably implement that into security systems and stuff like that. I don't know enough about blockchain to say much more on that, but there are people much smarter about blockchain, including someone who I recently had on the podcast that knows way more about blockchain. And so like, just as an example, like security systems can be in place. And so like, if we allow innovation to happen more freely, rather than allow competition to sort of stomp each other down, we might be able to get to a better place and not have some sort of, a Skynet thing come to life and kill all humans, which is pretty unlikely anyways. <laughs> have you have you thought about existential risks? Like the concepts of existential also risks? Also a lot. Uh, okay. <laughs> but the... I have like 10-ish minutes, but uh, the... Like 10-ish minutes before I have to go. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no uh, The... I actually wrote a piece in my master's recital that kind of discusses existential risk uh but the thing is that like we do have to be very careful 
as a collective to make sure that we're capable of handling some of these things. I feel like um, Nick Bostrom talks about existential yes. risk and, and the we already invented the atom bomb. Yep. It's a miracle that we're not already dead yet. There's yeah. been so many times in Close history yeah. <laughs> where we would have all died. Yeah. And so it's like already a miracle that we're alive, but like we do have to be very careful with these sorts of things and kind of have a collective education about these things, but also a collective sort of rule about how we approach these things. And so it's like, we've already kind of moved the clock closer to midnight by, for example, the US electing Donald Trump. And it's like (laughs) this, there's hardly anything in place stopping the man from just like blowing up all the earth. And that's just like a reality that we exist in right now. But (laughs) the, the other part is that like, I mean, there are people trying to like hey let's denuclearize as much as possible and so like every technology as nick bostrom uses the example of like there's a bag with like different colored balls and like a black one has the potential to like kill us all yeah and so (laughs) we can we don't know which one is the black ball and that's why we just have to be careful with technology and be responsible with it kind of one of the biggest things about my relationship with technology and sort of everyone's relationship with technology is that like technology is just a tool it's not good or bad it's just a thing here that is available to us and so you can either use the hammer to like hammer in a nail and build a house and how great or you can bash someone's head in and so like you can you can use technology to create a lot of flourishing if you use it in the right way and that's where education and morality and ethics kind of comes in and that's why i talk about it so much on my podcast (laughs) yeah i I totally agree with you um and i like nick bostrom's analogy and um i just wonder is, is there a way that we could you know instead of reaching into the urn or whatever that has the black ball like could we create one that just you know it doesn't exist because I think I think his point is we're choosing to accept some you know risk in exchange for human flourishing and, and a lot of innovation, mm-hmm. which there's good reason for it. But like, yeah, I'm I'm just curious, like, how do we figure out what is what is the right balance? Because um, yeah, the more I think about just technology and innovation, like, does so much good for the world, but it brings with it this these new. Um, existential risks that that didn't exist before um like i think about like covid right now um, yeah thankfully it's not a soup a super uh, i guess deadly disease but i guess what's enabled it to spread worldwide is technology like the invention of boats mm. and, and airplanes and stuff like that so anyways it's just yeah i find it interesting to to think about I guess the the last point I'll make is that yeah. like education is kind of the the 
bigger sort of grounding for all these things is that if we have a foundation and we're capable of thinking critically to where every human on earth is capable of thinking critically and thinking like, well, these are the consequences of my actions. And this is how all of this like is interconnected. And the fact that like, I don't know, education is more than just like learning in school. It's also how we interact with the world around us. It's also how we kind of have a a spiritual connection to everything else as well. And so while I'm not religious, I don't believe in God, I'm very spiritual in that I acknowledge my connection to everyone else in the world. And I acknowledge that like I'm not an island and my actions have consequences and that affects the people around me. And so these sorts of things are important if you're going to be a person with like some sort of agency in the world or some sort of power in the world. And so like it's it's more than just like a textbook knowledge sort of education, but it's also just education about yourself as a human and education about other people as humans yeah (laughs) cool well yeah thanks so much it was great meeting you santiago did i pronounce your name yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) cool um yeah thanks so much for for the conversation yeah no uh thank you so much for letting me ramble for a long time about stuff that i'm super nerdy about it's not often that i get to spew all of these things at the world so like it's it's fun <laughs> cool well i'm glad you enjoyed too yeah we'll, we'll wrap it up here sweet um is there thanks again for tuning in to can i ask you a question if you liked this episode i'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on itunes or google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.